Now I want to welcome and introduce Mike Fost. He's not Mike Slow, he's Mike Fost. He's from uh, Canada originally, but he's been in this country for nine years, and I'm going to get him to just tell what he is a part of. Um, he's, he's, he's a part of the 412 movement, but I'm going to let him uh, share a little bit. Uh, he's with the Musenberg Congregation. Uh, they are a PM congregation. And Mike, it's lovely to have you. He's Canadian, so don't make the mistake of calling an American, eh? That's a little bit of an insult for Canadians. And the accent is a little different. Americans say out, and the Canadians say oot. So, welcome, Mike. Come and share with us this morning. The, the, throughout Josh Jen, Andrew has asked us to share in focusing at the conference about they devoted themselves in Acts chapter 2 and 42. They devoted themselves to, and today we're going to be looking at the apostolic teaching. So, over to you, sir. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as Mike shares with us, that we may feel the tug of your spirit on our hearts. Thank you for the word that you have prepared in his heart. And we pray that as he shares, it may just be such a wonderful, easy flow. Thank you, Lord, for our responsiveness and our eagerness to hear your word this morning. We pray that you would bless and fill him with the power of your spirit this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much, Richard. Um, I'll actually introduce myself in a second, but first, just the, the man in the green who is drumming. Um, the Lord just put you on my heart as we were worshiping, and I felt in particular he wanted to just speak to you that he sees that you're, you're first and foremost wanting to worship yourself, like you yourself want to worship the Lord. And I think there's something significant there. You know, we Sometimes we make the mistake of actually calling them our worship team. Actually, they're not our worship team. We, the whole church, we are the worship team. They're leading us into worship, but first and foremost, they have to worship themselves if they're going to lead the rest of us into worship. And I felt the Lord really wanted to give you just that picture from the book of John where at the Last Supper, you know, all the disciples are, are reclining. They didn't have chairs like we have today. So they're all literally lying down around the table. And as they're lying down around the table, John the Apostle, he's literally lying down with his head on Jesus' chest. And he's resting. And he calls himself, he doesn't call himself John, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And I, and I felt the Lord really wanted to say that to you, that he wants you to grow in being the disciple that I love. That that would be the name that you're known by, and that out of that your worship, out of that your ministry, out of that someday your marriage, and whatever the Lord calls you to, it'll flow out of that place of being the one that knew the Lord and was loved by him. And that's actually more important than your name, so in that sense, I don't need to know your name. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so my name is Mike, and uh, I have been in South Africa now for nine years. And it's been an incredible journey, uh, lots of it unexpected. So I came to South Africa as a Canadian to work in the township at a nonprofit, and we were doing kind of a mixture of community development and then lots of programs related to churches. So I had the privilege of starting evangelism programs, discipleship programs, and we started actually a, a Bible school for pastors in the townships. And so that's where I spent the majority of my time. But on Sundays, the Lord brought us into Josh Jen, and we came to Josh Jen not because we were excited about Josh Jen, sorry, we came to Josh Jen because 
Well, to be very honest, I brought my kids with me to church in the township a number of times. And when, they were, when we first came, they were one in three. They struggled to engage with church, to be part of what God was doing in the church. They struggled with, in particular, the volume level, but obviously language and other things were factors too. And I wanted my kids to grow up in church. That was important to me. And, uh, and so really, Josh Jen Kids was a huge factor that drew me into Josh Jen. And then the second thing, even though Josh Jen was a bit weird, they loved us. I mean, we could not deny, after like 30 days, the love of the church. And so as much as there were things we struggled with in the church, the fact that Jesus says the most important command is to love God and to love people, and we could plainly see that in the church, that helped us to overcome the things that we were struggling with as we grew in the church, you could say. But also, I think it was sort of the Lord's wisdom to give me a slower process. You know, Ross Gillespie, if any of you know him, he was an elder in Josh Jen, now he's an elder in, uh, in Benoni, um, City on a Hill Church. But he walked with me slowly. And uh, what I mean in particular is helping me to understand how Josh Jen functions. You see, for me, coming from Canada, I was a pastor in Canada, I understood local church. Our Canadian churches are very independent. You could even say fiercely independent. So I understood local church, how it functioned. I had no understanding whatsoever of a partnership of churches. And so for, I don't know, maybe even, it might have been close to five years before the first time I personally went to a Josh Jen gathering. That's how long it took me to get past that one thing of getting local church. Loving one another, community groups, praying together, worshiping together, but seeing actually the bigger picture of what God was doing in a partnership of churches, which at this point, Josh Jen itself is a field of churches, which is inside a bigger field of churches that we call 412. And a huge part of that was just seeing that actually in the New Testament, there is not a single independent church. Every single church in the New Testament is working together, is in partnership, under an apostolic field, working with other churches to see churches built up. So that, for me, took a long time for me to grow in that. And in fact, uh, I think we lost most of our uh, 10 to 12-year-olds. But we, do we still have any teenagers in the room? Hey, yes, I got a couple. Okay, so I want to start with just a simple question for you guys. How many views on a video on YouTube do you need to be famous? Over 2 million, okay. Perfect. One says 2 million, one says 1 million. There's no wrong answer, so you know, well done. Um, for myself, I have 581. So 581 may seem like a long ways from 2 million or 1 million, but a couple months ago, two months ago, I was in Kleinmond, and I went uh, and introduced myself to, to someone and, I, and uh, the guy actually came up to me and said, hey, Mike, how you doing? And I was like, well, um, I don't think I remember your name. And he's like, hi, my name is Craig. And he's like, you actually don't know my name, but I saw your video on YouTube. So even though I only have 581 views, the fact that someone recognized me from YouTube made me feel like I'm famous. Right? So there's Craig in the back there. There we go. Um, now, why did I bring that up? Because that video on YouTube is a video I did in 412, 
And it's a video on sort of my personal journey of coming into Joshua and not believing at all that apostles were called to serve today. And how the Lord worked in my heart to see that actually the gift of apostles is not just, not only are they called to serve today, but they're essential for churches to grow into the health that God wants to see in them. And so there's a, a, you know, a plug for my own video. If you haven't seen it, you can see it on you. No, just kidding, just kidding. Um, yeah, so I am a married man, uh, but my wife and my children are not here as good Canadian children. They are playing ice hockey right now. So they, they couldn't make it Sunday mornings. As we said, our congregation meets Sunday afternoons. So my kids are in a, the ice hockey program at Grand West. So that is why they are not here. But they would love to be here. So I just want to kind of apologize on their behalf for not being here. But I really want to dive into this question today. Is what does it mean to be part of a partnership of churches? To serve in a church that has a foundation of the apostolic. And I want to begin by saying this isn't like some secret levels of knowledge. Okay, the word apostle or apostolic, we don't use that word in business, we don't use it in schools or any other, you know, uh, general area of society that I'm aware of. And so as a result, in church, sometimes it can feel like this is like some kind of like inner, deep, secret knowledge. Those of you that are around in Christian circles in the 90s, it sounds a bit like the levels of Freemasonry or maybe the Illuminati. And this is nothing like that. In fact, God wants us to understand himself, and he wants us to understand his ways. And so just because you maybe don't feel called to serve as an apostle, or you don't have that gift on your life, although some of you might, it's important for all of us who are in God's household to understand how his household functions, to understand how this gift that he has given functions in the church. And so with that in mind, I want us to jump to Acts 2.42, as Richard introduced for us, and I want to say to us immediately, look, you might have read this verse last Sunday, but are you living it today? I know we read this verse in Josh Jen all the time, but it really is not a head-level verse. It's a verse that we need to walk out and live out every single day of our lives. And so I want you to listen to it again with fresh ears. Ask the Lord, Lord, how can I grow in what you want to speak to me through your word, trusting that God, who is infinite, doesn't run out of things to say. Amen? So, Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So first, I just want to begin considering who are these people? Who are these people? Who are the they that devote themselves? And if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, you'll see the Holy Spirit is poured out on the city, well, on the believers in Jerusalem, the disciples. And as they are filled with the Spirit, they go out into the city, and Peter stands up and he preaches to the crowds. Now these crowds, they have seen in the last few weeks, they have seen this man, Jesus, who is commonly recognized across the city as a great man, a prophet of God. And they have seen this man who, who loved those who were considered unlovable, who went into the homes of tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't like the religious leaders of their day. He preached with authority. He cast out demons. They have seen this man handed over to the Jewish leaders and the Romans and crucified on the cross. 
And Peter, he gets up and he preaches to them and he says to them, it's not just that he was crucified on the cross against his will. Actually, it was according to God's good plan. Because he, as he died on the cross, his blood becomes the sacrifice for our sins, for your sin. That we can be made clean, that we can be set free, that we can receive salvation and come into God's household. The scriptures often uses the, the picture of being born again. We are born anew in Christ. We become a new creation. And in this new identity, we become part of the household of God. And as Peter preaches, 3,000 people, they are cut to the heart. And they give their lives to Jesus that day. Now, for some of you maybe who are here this morning, actually, this is going to be the most important part of the message. For some of you that are maybe here this morning, you are longing for salvation to be set free. There's a burden in your life where you know that on your own, life keeps falling down. And you know you need someone to set you free from the struggle, from the battle against sin that is in your life. And a little later, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. But I want you to hear, just like the people of Jerusalem today, that there is hope. There is hope. There is forgiveness of sins. There is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And in particular, for those who have given their lives to Jesus before, you became part of the household of God. And so if you are here and you are a member and you are part of the household of God, that household, that family, always functions with an open door. Always with an open door. And so for those who maybe you're hearing this and you're not sure, do I fit in this place? I want to say to you, the door into God's house is always open. And it's through Jesus Christ that we enter in and we join the family of God. Take that if, if that connects with you, and we will talk a little more later. Now for those who heard the Lord that day and their hearts were convicted, they were so grateful for what Jesus had done. They were so grateful that Jesus had gone to the cross so they didn't have to. They are so grateful they never had to kill another sheep or goat and that their sins were forgiven. They had seen this man. They had watched how he lived, watched how he preached. And it was a joy now that they could respond and say, Jesus, you are my king. And it was out of that gratefulness for what Jesus has done that we get to this verse. So this verse wasn't so much the target that they were aiming for. They weren't aiming to become devoted. But rather, out of gratefulness of what Jesus had done in their hearts, they devoted themselves because of who Jesus was to the apostles' teaching, to the household of God, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, remembering what Christ did on the cross, and to prayer. This was not something that anyone required of them. They weren't forced by their church leaders to become devoted. No, they did it on their own free will. You know, it reminds me a little bit for myself about, uh, well, it's exactly actually 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was dating a different lady, not the one I am married to now. And as I was dating this different lady, and I was genuinely asking the question, God, is this the one you have for me to marry? But as I was dating her, I met this other young lady. 
And in a moment, well, in a moment, in a few weeks, <laughs> I really knew she was the one that God was calling me to marry. I didn't tell her that. <laughs> but then I did have a conversation with my best friend at the time who only knew my current girlfriend. And he said to me, Mike, speaking of this other lady who would become my wife, he said, Mike, you have to get that sparkle out of your eye. Because he liked my girlfriend and, and thought we were, you know, doing well together. But you know what? I couldn't get that sparkle out of my eye. As much as there was nothing wrong with that lady, she wasn't the one that I knew God had called me to marry. And so there was a sparkle in my eye that led to me running after and pursuing the one who would become my wife. And it led me to devoting my life to her. Telling her, look, I'm not just interested in being with you for the next six months. I want to be with you till death do us part. And so for me, I devoted myself. I gave myself to her. Now she will tell you I get that same sparkle in my eye when I speak about motorcycles. <laughs> but seriously, for anyone who's been married for a longer period of time, you know that not every morning do you necessarily naturally feel that devotion. Some mornings are difficult. Yes? I think critically, God knows us well. And this example that he sets in this verse for us of they devoted themselves is not just a call at the moment of salvation. It's a call for us till death do us part. You know, that for the rest of my life, whether I feel it, whether I'm struggling, maybe Richard said something last week in the preach and you're a bit upset about it still. Can we get past that and in the same way that we understand healthy marriage to be till death do us part? And we give our lives fully, even when it's hard, even when it feels like the other person's not reaching out back, we go for it because we know this is what the Lord has called us to. In the same way, I want to encourage us to be those who are devoted, to continually put in an intense effort in love, in devotion to the things of God, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to one another, and to prayer. I love the examples we see of how this functioned in the early church. And in particular, we see a lot of how the church gave themselves to one another, including the gifts that are in the church, in Ephesians chapter 4, where we get the name 412 from. And so let's jump to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start in verse 7. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given by, as Christ apportioned it. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And so he's, when he says to each one of us, he means to every believer that's in the church, for all of us. Grace has been given. Now that word grace could also be translated as, as special favor or special gift of God. And so God has given grace, a gift, into every single one who's in the body of Christ. And then in verse 11, he highlights five of those grace gifts that he has given. Verse 11 says, it was he who gave some. So some of the gifts that Christ has given are the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and teachers. 
And so these are five of the gifts that God has given to the church. There's many others. But these five gifts are essential in the church functioning as God intended it to. You know, Andrew often says it's a bit like baking a cake. And if you're going to bake a cake, you need your milk, your egg, your flour, some other ingredient that I don't know. Um, But you need those things. And if you are missing one of those things, it's entirely likely the cake flops. And so in the same way, for the body of Christ to function as God intended, we need every gift to be functioning. And so we need these gifts. We need the gift of the apostolic, which is the primary one we're looking at today, to be working for the cake for God's household and church to turn out as he wants it to do. And then as the the passage continues, we're going to see how those five ministries, which are intentionally, it starts off with the gift of the apostolic, It's commonly listed as the the gift in the New Testament that lays the foundation. But then as the other gifts come in and build on top of that, what is God's hope? What is God's plan and purpose for using those gifts? And so then we get to verse 12. It says, To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith, And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I absolutely love that passage. I want us to first just take note. Look, we as a partnership of churches, we're very intentionally called 412 and not 411. 411 is the verse he has given these gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and the evangelists. But we are not a movement, a partnership of churches trying to lift up five superstar gifts. No, we are a movement of churches that believes those gifts are there to equip every single believer, every single saint, every one of you that is here today and knows the Lord. We are a movement that wants to see you be equipped to come into the fullness of what God has for you. So you are the ones being the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, God has put you in the home that you're in, in the school that you're in, in the workplace that you're in. Andrew's not going to go to your neighbor and tell your neighbor the good news about Jesus Christ. God has called you to be the person in that place, to be his hands and his feet. And Andrew and the gifts, they are there to equip us so that the body of Christ is built up. So take note of that. The body of Christ is built up as all of us are functioning in our gifting. That is critical. If there's only a few people, if only 20% of the church, you know, we had roughly 20% stood up at the beginning. If those same people are the ones standing every week when he asks, who are the people here early and serving? There's something significantly off about how the house is being built. The household of God is to be built that every single one is doing their part. Everyone has gifts and they are being trained and equipped to use those gifts to serve the body of Christ. And that is how the apostolic functions. It equips you to use what God has given you to do the works of service, to do the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is to continue. This isn't going to stop, beginning of verse 13, until... This is going to continue. This is God's plan for you until we all reach unity in the faith, until we have an understanding, a knowledge of the Son of God, 
and we reach maturity. And it even kind of gives us a picture of what that maturity is, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I absolutely love that phrase. God's vision is to see every one of you attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What an incredible thing. I mean, if you were like me, it feels like if I could just represent 1% of who Jesus is, you know, I'd, I'd be okay with that. But God's not satisfied with that. God doesn't want me to represent 1% of who Jesus is. God doesn't want you to represent 1% of who Jesus is. He wants you to represent the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus loving people, um, how he prays, how he speaks to the Father as well as to people, how he walks in authority, God wants you to reflect Jesus exactly the same. And his plan to do that is by the whole body being built up as we are equipped by the gifts that he has given. And so I hope you can see how essential it is that these gifts, the apostolic, is functioning and moving among us so that every one of us comes into the fullness of what God has for us. And that is for this room to be filled, you know, with 120 people that look like Jesus. They look like Jesus and how they speak to their wives and husbands and how they speak to their friends and how they engage with their, you know, finances and business and and how they use their, their language and their, their tongue. Yeah. And we see that as this happens, as the whole body is built up, that everyone is included. Then we see in verse 14, it says, Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You know, I joked at the beginning about YouTube, but I think more than in any other generation since the church started, it is so easy today to be deceived by the craftiness of men in our faith and have our faith twisted and perverted. And one of the primary ways is through the shocking access there is through social media. We can hear voices from all over the world that will tell us all kinds of things that, man, you know, I, I like how that sounds. But we need the gifts that God has given. We need the apostolic to come to help us, to correct us, to help us to see where we're going too far. For, for those of you who have heard Andrew preach before, one of the massive gifts on him is to be able to hold two biblical truths in tension without letting go of one for the sake of the other. And I'll be honest, very few of us are good at that. We tend to gravitate towards what's in the Bible that, that fits with us, or our, our culture, or our neighborhood, or our social economic group, or whatever it is better, and we just ignore the other one that's more difficult. And almost every culture and people group and country in our world that I've been in does the same thing, but with a different set of verses. And one of the gifts on Andrew's life as he serves as an apostle in Josh Jennings 4.12, is to be able to hold biblical truths in tension. You know, when I was about 16 years old, um, so I grew up in a, a rural part of Canada. The city that would have been closest is called Winnipeg. It's right in the middle of the country. 
very hot in summer, extremely cold in winter. And we only had, uh, I think you guys actually use the same term, farmer vision. Yeah, you guys say farmer vision or no? No, blank, okay. Uh, farmer vision just means you had like two channels on your TV, that's it. You know, you, could, you didn't have satellite or, you know, cable was in the cities, but not in the rural areas. So we only had a couple channels on TV, so there wasn't a lot of choice as to what you were going to watch. Anyways, one evening, I'm about 16. I'm sitting in the living room with my mom, and I don't remember which one of us is uh, choosing the channel, but a movie starts, and we watch this movie together. And in the movie, basically, there's this elderly man who's struggling with his health. And throughout the movie, his health gets worse and worse. And by halfway through the movie, I mean his pain is unbearable. It's excruciating. And all he wants to do is peacefully end his life. But there's a whole legal process. The place he's in, that's not allowed. And so the second half of the movie is this legal battle for him to be able to end his life as he wants to. And finally, at the end of the movie, like a doctor comes in kind of quietly and just like gives him a little injection, puts him to sleep. And the movie finishes. The movie finishes and I say to my mom, oh, that is such a good thing. People should be able to choose when they want to end their life. Yeah, my mom got up and she smacked me. <laughs> She's like, my son, you know, you watched a two-hour movie and in two hours you have been convinced in something that is against God's truth. In two hours by a well-presented movie. That wasn't even presented as in any way teaching theology or anything like that at all. But actually the word of God says that God is the author of life. God decides when life starts and when life finishes. But just like that at 16, it took literally two hours for me to be deceived. That was it. The truth is we live in a world where we hear messages that are against God's ways all of the time. And we need the gift of the apostolic to help us to see our blind spots, to help us to see where we are going astray. And this is one of the key reasons that in, in Scripture, God has given the gift of apostles authority to build up the church. He's given them authority to build the church because he wants the church to be strong. And part of the gift of the apostolic is to see our areas of weakness, and to come and to build those areas up. And I, want to, I have two scriptures to show this. First, uh, 2 Corinthians, or in South Africa, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed. So Paul's speaking to this church and he's saying, look, the Lord has given us authority. It's not an authority to pull you down, to point out problems and, um, I don't know, have some sort of an arrogant perspective on it. No, no, no. The authority the Lord has given us is to build you up, to help strengthen muscles that are weaker. And all of us, we can easily go through life with muscles that just don't get stretched. Maybe for you, you find it easy to engage for hours in prayer. But Wednesday night in community with other people, yeah, you can just avoid that. Maybe for you, you absolutely love to worship. But going and sharing your faith with your neighbor, yeah, I don't like that. That one's hard. And the gift of the apostolic is for us to grow our muscles 
so that we can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And in particular, to do this in areas that were weak. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3.10. And together with his team, he says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again, see the church again, and supply what is lacking in your faith. His heart is to fill up that which is lacking, that which is weak in the church. Now, for myself, as Richard said, I'm uh, part of the Eldership team in Musenberg. We were one of the congregations that planted during lockdown. So our congregation has never been part of a Josh Chen gathering, except for the one on the big field about a year ago, but none of the regular quarterly ones we used to have. Our congregation has never been to a 412 conference. So for our congregation right now, it feels like a huge amount of work as people have come in to help them to see the big picture of coming to the conference, of being part of what God wants to do at the conference because it's a muscle they don't know. They don't know why they need these other gifts, why they need the partnership of churches. And yet it is something that will absolutely transform the congregation. So one of the things we've struggled with is seeing people passionately pursue the Lord in worship. That's a core value of Josh Jen, that we would be people who love to just sit in the presence of God, to worship Him, to dig deep wells, both as a community but also as individuals, receiving from the Lord, receiving from the Holy Spirit. And a huge part to help that move forward is to join in the bigger body. For those of you who remember our gatherings at the Lighthouse, there is something about when we gather by the thousands that you see the Lord move in incredible ways. For me, one of the things I love is just seeing the Lord work through one individual. You know, we gather by the thousands, but the Spirit of the Lord comes on Daniel, yeah? And Daniel suddenly has a word for the thousands of people that are gathered there. And the Lord speaks through Daniel to encourage the entire church that meets. And that's something we see in the scriptures in the New Testament. But for a a young congregation like ours in Musenberg, it's not a muscle that's very strong and we need to grow in. My eldest son, he's 13. And uh, he has become, I will say, a bit of an expert on these. Anyone in your congregation into speed cubing? Oh, I see some hands. There we go. Okay. So, my son currently, he averages solving these things in 16 seconds. His fastest time is 9 seconds. And those are from like official scrambles. That's not just a lucky scramble. But what I've noticed as over the last year he's gone from 60 seconds to 50 to 40 to 30 to 20 to now 16, is when he looks at the cube, of course, at any moment in time, you can only see three sides of the cube. There's always three sides that are hidden from your view. But as he's gotten faster and he has learned algorithms, he literally knows about 100 algorithms at this time. Each one of those algorithms is between 5 and 20 moves of the cube. Through the memorization of these things, when he looks at the cube, he doesn't need to see the backside to know where the pieces are. And he can very quickly and accurately pick the right algorithm 
to take the cube from an unsolved state and solve it and, and bring it to its state it's supposed to be in. It is very much how the apostolic gift functions in the church. God has gifted the apostolic to look at the church and to supply what is lacking in the faith. And the church often can't see it. It's on the other side of the cube. And yet, when the apostle, when the gift of the apostolic through the power of Jesus Christ, it's not like this is some gift on some person because of who they are. It's because of what Jesus has done. But through what Jesus has done in them, they can see what's on the other side of the cube. And not only can they see what's on the other side of the cube, but they can choose the right algorithm to help that church go from an unsolved, messy state to being aligned into God's ways and God's patterns. And this is our hope in engaging with the apostolic, that we would be people who actually would have such a hunger to be aligned to God's ways that we would let someone else come in and provoke the thing that's lacking, grow the thing that's lacking, help us to mature in the thing that's lacking so that, you know, we're never going to come into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ if we don't let Jesus work and touch those areas of our lives that are a bit more challenging. And that's, again, both at an individual level, but then very much also at a community level. And so Paul, he very much serves as a master builder in the household of God, like a master cuber. We see this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And again, it's not because of the excellence of Paul. He's the very first one to say it's the power of Christ that has worked in him to grow this gift. And now someone else is building on it, and each one should be careful how he builds. And so we, it's critical for us, we as Josh Jen are part of an apostolic household where we surrender and say to those who have that gift, come in, examine our lives. Help us to see what we're blind to. Help us to grow in those areas of weakness so that we can become a healthy church. It is our heart to see every single church ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb. I want to encourage you as a church, keep that day in mind. That is what we are aiming for. The day is going to come where we will gather as Christ's bride having been prepared, having our robes washed in white. And God himself is going to present us to his son. Every day, let us keep that in mind because it will spur us on in the ways of the Lord that we don't get stuck and that we're willing to make the changes so that we can be clean and that we can be prepared for Christ. And my final thought for us, and this is something I think is really important as we look towards the conference. And that is that the apostolic gift on its own is lacking to complete God's mission on the earth. The apostolic gift on its own is lacking to complete God's mission on, it, on the earth. And a similar way that God gave apostles to serve in the church and be the master builders, be the expert builders of the household of God. In a similar way, in the Old Testament, God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle. 
God gave Solomon this vision of what to build for him as a temple, as a house for him to be worshipped. But as much as Moses and Solomon, they knew what God was asking them to do, they could not do it without skilled laborers, craftsmen, artisans, empowered by the Spirit of God to do the very thing that God had laid on their hearts to build for him. And I want us to see this in Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezazel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Oholab, son of Ahishamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. I love that. Because of my accent, you don't even know if I'm saying it right or wrong. Also, I have given skill to make all the craftsmen to make everything that I have commanded you. Put verse 3 back up there. You know, in the same way that Moses, he could not build the tabernacle on his own. Solomon, he could not build the temple on his own. They needed men and women who were filled with the Spirit of God. They needed men and women with skill, with ability, with knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship. They needed people who would go into the forest and chop a tree. On Friday, as I was preparing, my wife asked me, what are you working on? I said, well, we need people to chop trees for God's house to be what he wants it to be. And she kind of laughed at me like, you can't be serious. And I'm like, yeah, I think actually in God's plan, in a humorous sort of way, I am serious. Solomon, let's be serious, he was not going into the woods to chop down a tree. And not just anyone could go chop down that tree. How many of you here today could actually go chop down a tree? Ah, I see some hands. See, there's a few of you who are skilled in that area. But Solomon needed someone who couldn't or, or wasn't just able to chop down a tree, but could do it with skill and with ability. To sand it, to furnish it, to get that piece of that log just right so that it could be used in the temple. And same thing, if you read the intricate details of both the tabernacle and the temple, they, the households of God, needed many, many, many skilled hands. And as that scripture says, people filled with the Spirit of God to see those households become what God had intended them to be. And that is what it is like working with the apostolic. God has absolutely given the apostles the vision to see what he wants his house to be like. But they need men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God, who will devote themselves, who will give themselves fully and totally to the things of the Lord, who will say, I will chop a tree in the house of God to build it up to the way that God wants it to be. And that for us is, is what I want to invite us to, is actually this ministry of the apostolic is very much done in a mutual dependence. And so what I mean by that is we need the gift of the apostolic to come in and to help us to see our areas that are lacking, that we can grow into the whole measure that Christ has for us. 
But the ministry of the apostolic isn't somehow separate from the rest of the body of Christ. The ministry of the apostolic needs the rest of the body of Christ. It needs us to come alongside and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. God's call is for every one of us to go and to make disciples of nations. That is the mandate that he's given the church. That is the apostolic call that is in our church, in Josh Jen, in 412, that we would be those who would go and make disciples of nations. And a huge part of this is why we have our 412 conference. So our 412 conference, it's going to be the first one in three years. So obviously in three years, the whole church has seen massive shifts. I mean, he said there were 44 congregations. Three years ago, there was maybe, I'll just say 30, 25 to 30, probably somewhere in that range. You know, there's 20 to 20, uh, 15 to 20 new congregations just in the last three years since our last conference. So there's been tremendous growth in the church. And this apostolic, uh, or sorry, this conference is not a conference to come to to hear like great talks and, you know, hear the best speakers and these kind of things. This is an opportunity for us to go and meet with Jesus. First and foremost. You know, if I think back to when my friend told me to get that sparkle out of my eye, I mean, that was impossible. My wife was in another province. I was literally willing to fly to another province to go and be with her. Why? Because I loved her. It's the same for us. This is an opportunity. If we know the Lord and love the Lord, you know, the Lord rewards those who seek him with faith, who pursue him with all their art. Seek me and you will find me, says the Lord. I want to say to you, seek the Lord. And a huge part practically of what that looks like is saying, I am going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that as I go with God's people to spend time with him, that I'm going to be changed. And as much as we go wanting to be changed, also to go to use the gifts that God has put in you. Don't just go and, and sit only to receive. Go and say, God, I have no idea what part you might play in me among thousands. But I want to trust you that if there's something you want to do through me, just to the person who's sitting beside me, or whether it's on the microphone to everyone that's come, Lord, I'm available. I want to be used by you. And so I want to encourage you to make this the highest priority to make it in October. This is a chance to join with believers from all over the world. We just had our first ever Canadian uh, church lead elder. He came here maybe uh, about six weeks ago. It's hard for me to explain how much in a country like Canada we are lacking churches that are open to function like we see in the New Testament. And conferences like this, all the time out of these conferences, there is breakthrough into the United States, into Canada, into countries all over the world. As the church gathers and they see a church, so my friend Rick, who is here from Canada, when he went back to Canada six weeks ago, he had one thing he said to his church. He said, I went to Cape Town and I saw a church that looked like the New Testament. You know, 
that is our hope, is that through Josh Jen, Andrew's, the, the vision God has given Andrew is to change the way the world does church. I mean, it is a big vision. And that is not building according to Andrew's plans. Andrew's absolute heart actually has nothing to do with Josh Jenner 412 as names, as movements. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about building the church the way we see in the scriptures. And maybe just as a final call in encouraging us to devotion, I was speaking with Craig before the meeting, and I just said to him, I, um, I just came back from Zimbabwe maybe six weeks ago, um, spending time with our Josh Jen that's uh, in Harare there. And we know it in the news here. We know Zimbabwe is difficult. But having just spent a week there, man, it is extraordinarily difficult. For me, I've had the privilege of traveling to a number of other nations lots of times. Three years for COVID, you quickly forget what the physical struggles are for millions of people in the world. And so for me, I was hosted by Neville. Neville leads the church there. You know, Neville and his wife, literally, they gave me their bed and their bedroom. And they went and slept in the other room with, I don't know, like not just their kids, kids plus others from the church who were there as well. Neville has no electricity ever. While I was there, it was the first time we hit stage six here. And my wife is messaging me, oh, we have stage six. And I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. You get 12 hours of electricity. Um, Neville has no running water at his house. He has no sink. There's not a single sink or tap inside or outside his house. You put a bucket down a well and you pull it up. And then probably the more difficult part is actually on, on the side of while I was there, his family was sick, like very sick. And his little boy, who's the same age as my boy, you know, he was coughing so hard in the night that he was at the point of dry heaving um, and just absolute desperation for air. And as a dad, I was like, man, I'd fly my kid to another country to get him to a hospital. And yet the next morning, Neville's waking up and he's bringing us to church to you know, do training and whatever we were doing at the church that day. And it absolutely broke my heart. But also, I really just felt the Lord challenge me. Like, Mike, are you willing, if I ask you to move to Zimbabwe tomorrow, are you willing to move? What I want to say to us, sorry, there's a bit of a rabbit trail there, but in Zimbabwe, those guys, right now, they have 15 members from their congregation who are registered for a 412 conference. My point being, the difficulty in them getting here is far, far higher. I know we live far from Mamasbury, <laughs> not compared to Harare. I know it's 580 Rand for adults, but I'm telling you, their, yeah, well, their economy is so much broken that 580 Rand, it might as well be 5,800 Rand. And yet they have 15 adults, or 15 people, I don't know if they're adults, who have already registered for the conference. And I saw this week, Somerset West has 22 registered for the conference. And your congregation is bigger than their congregation. And I'm not saying that to, to knock you or to slap you, but just to say, I want to actually set them as a bit of an example there of being devoted to the apostolic, devoted to our partnership of churches, that 15 of them are going to do whatever it takes to make it from Harare to here in Mamasbury.